Welcome to this Market Commentator podcast. It's my weekly podcast where I speak to leading investment professionals. My name is Raik Vinikak and my guest today is John Bicard. He is, of course, the manager of the Investec Value Fund and a rock star in the Deep Value Investor Club. Uh, John, welcome to the show. The philosophy of deep value investing has always been interesting. Um, and we've seen many so-called contrarian investors underperform during the past few years. Um, but we've seen a lot of sideways volatility in the whole market and a lot of local and international political events created some noise that affected markets. Has your philosophy changed in a material way to also account for these external factors uh, impacting on valuations? So it hasn't changed at all. So I've been running the value fund for nearly 20 years now, so I think it's 18 or 19 years. And it's always been run exactly the same way. So all we really do is we focus on shares that are totally out of favor, that have underperformed uh, the market significantly over a long time period. And so everything in the portfolio, we only buy once it's underperformed for many years. And then we do work on it, to first of all, to check its, its financial position is the most important thing. And then you spend a lot of time looking at what macroeconomic changes have to happen in order, because most of these companies, why they become really cheap is there's been some macroeconomic event or uh, some macroeconomic factors affecting it, be it interest rates or commodity prices or currencies that get it into this position. So we spend a lot of time thinking about what could change in order to, to bring that value out. So we don't forecast that change. We just, all we really want is the possibility of that change. So um, the important thing is everything's cheap, everything's underperformed in the fund, but the two like um, big hurdles to cross, one is the balance sheet of the company. So. You know, if if we, if we started a, a universe of 100 shares, we say, what are the cheapest 10? And then we look at the cheapest 10. And usually one of those cheapest 10 we throw out either because the balance sheet can't support because value investing is so hard anyway that you've got to make sure that you have time on your side, you know, for the thing to change. So it's no good buying a highly leveraged company where um, you run out of time. So we the first hurdle it has to cross is the balance sheet, that it can survive while we wait for things to change. And the second hurdle that has to change is to check that it isn't a permanent structural change where, you know, you're buying a buggy whip company um, and everyone's not driving cars. You know, that is, and that is a very rare thing because our view as value investors, there are very few structural changes in the world. You know, people often confuse cyclical changes, short-term changes, they say, well, that's the end of that industry. It's, it's very rare that industries disappear, but obviously it does happen. So if we, if we start um, with 1,000 shares and we, we get 50 shares that are really cheap, generally we'll throw other 50 shares, we'll probably throw one out because it's too leveraged and one or two out because there's a structural change. And that leaves us with the 47 shares as the, as the core. But you take big positions uh, in some companies, uh, the top 10 biggest shares in your portfolio account for nearly 66% of the total portfolio. Is that a strategy? So we have no regard for the index. So we know we don't start with the index because that has never made any sense to me that you would start with the index. I mean, 
when people invest their own money, they don't say, um, you know, the index weight of this is, you know, people put the best five or ten ideas in their portfolio, and that is exactly what you do in the value fund. So, so that means we do take big positions because we're not, we're not worried about the index weighting. And if we really like the idea, we'll put 10% of the fund in. And, you know, the only thing that constrains what percentage it is is the size of the company and the liquidity. So if it's a big liquid company, we'll have 10% and we really like it, we'll have 10% in. And if it's a tiny small cap, we'll buy as much as we can, even if it's, you know, half a percent or point mm. something percent. So generally we land up with very concentrated positions of the stuff we like, which means um, a lot of volatility in the short term about performance, especially relative to the index, because generally our, our portfolio doesn't look like the index at all. No, most definitely not. I see your, your biggest shareholding is in uh, Impala Platinum. Uh, more than 20% of the fund is invested in Impala and Sambanya Gold, also nearly 12%. So more than, well, nearly a third uh, invested in those two companies. The mining industry currently is being faced by a very unstable electricity supply with Eskom really uh, in big trouble. Are you worried about the potential impact this may have on the mining industry and specifically those two counters? You know, the, the reason why they're so big is when they got to the bottom um, of uh, their performance and to give you an idea how much these shares fell, uh, Sabanya fell from 45 rand to 7 rand and Impala fell from 250 rand to 16 rand um, over Impala over a period of 10 years and Sabanya over a period of 3 years. That's how much they fell. So when they got to those low points of 16 rand and 7 rand respectively, we made sure that we had 10% of the fund invested by continually buying down. And that is very important because as value investors, we buy too early. And when we buy early and it keeps falling, we keep buying to bring down the average cost. So those two, those two stocks have got so large in the fund because they've had over the last six months a recovery. But a very small recovery, so to give you an idea, Impala fell from 250 to 16, and it's now tripled to 20 to 46 rand, but it's still 46 rand versus high of 250. Um, so, sorry, to get back to you, so that's why they got so big. And then to get back to your question, um, no, I mean, the Eskom situation is bad news for everything in South Africa, and it is bad news for miners. The only thing I would say is mining, ironically, is not as badly affected as a lot of manufacturing operations in South Africa, and in fact, may not even be as badly affected as retail, you know, where the shops actually have to shut, mainly because, firstly, the miners are generally the last people to have the lights turned off because the government, they're big users, and the government is very aware of the importance of the economy, so they are the last people to get turned off, and the first people to know when um, the load shedding is coming. So they can schedule uh, their operations around that. And very importantly, you know, mining is not batch processing. You know, it's, they can actually stop hoisting for a period of the day and then continue on with, some, you know, the operations like batch processing and manufacturing is worse affected when you have a whole, you know, when the power goes out and you have... Uh, whole batches of things going off. So it's not good news, um, but it's not, you know, we've lived through it before. And then the last point is, very importantly, that both these companies are uh, platinum companies or PGM metal companies. 
And so it's very important that if there was a real problem in South Africa with electricity, um, it would obviously be bad for them, but at least they would be somewhat offset by higher metal prices because South Africa is the primary producer of those metals. So it doesn't help if you're an iron ore producer in South Africa and you stop producing, or the iron ore price doesn't go up because of it because you only produce 1%. But when you South African platinum, it is 70% of the market. Our production really does matter in the price. But the Impala Platinum, uh, I'm looking at the the share price performance over the last few years. It's down 63% over the past five years, but over the past six months, it's up nearly 170%, and year-to-date, uh, nearly 30%. W- when do you start looking at taking the profits uh, on, on this uh, stellar performance? Well, it's very important, you know, you've got to see those numbers that you, as you say, it's one of those crazy shares where it's down... 70% of what's all-time high, but it's up three times off the bottom. You know, So um, you've got to look at the long-term graph to get where it is, and you've got to look at what the stock is, what it's worth. So we have consistently said, and I think if you go back to any of our presentations, we have said over the last um, three, four years, because we have now been investing in Parler for three or four years, um, increasing that weighting consistently as it continued to fall, we said it's worth a minimum of 75 rand. And that was when the share was 50 rand and we were buying it. And then it was when the share was 16 rand, we were buying it. And obviously when it was 16 rand, people say, well, you're absolutely crazy. But that is our valuation based on what we think to be reasonable PGM prices. And all that's changed is the PGM prices have moved a little bit. Uh, well, five of them, with the exception of platinum, have moved a lot, and platinum hasn't moved at all. But the basket as a whole has moved up from unsustainably low levels to more reasonable levels, and the new management team have done a better job in controlling costs and improving production at the lease area. And those two things have resulted in a company turning from a loss to a profit. And you know, we still think, even though the share is now 46 rand and not 16, that it's undervalued. I mean, we're thinking that at this basket price, where the rand is today and all the metals are today, we think that Impala could earn five or six rand a share, which will put the share on eight or nine times earnings, and its major rival, Amplats, trades on 22 times earnings. So there's still a big discount and we see the debt being paid down, and we can't understand how Amplex is worth 170 billion rand, and Impala's only worth 30 billion rand. And the answer is, you know, where metal prices and where the lease area was nine months ago, the company was losing money and had debt, and today it's making money and paying the debt down quickly. It's gone from a, an asset where people thought it wasn't, you just couldn't invest into an asset that you could invest in, and very importantly, if the basket price continues to go up, which we think it will, because there is a shortage of five of the six metals in the PGM basket, all five of them except for platinum are in a deficit position, and we think the rent is vulnerable and it's not unlikely to strengthen from here, so we think the basket price will keep going up. So we're saying that at spot metal, maybe you're paying eight times earnings, if the basket goes up another 10%, you know, that 8 PE becomes a 4 PE very quickly. So, um, you know, Impala still trades at one-seventh of its replacement cost, which is a very important thing. You know, despite the share tripling, it still would cost 
seven times as much as share price to rebuild those platinum mines. So we see the share significantly undervalued. Yeah. Kumba was another uh, share that actually fell extremely far, uh, you know, around five years ago. Um, but since uh, then has recovered spectacularly, even more so than Impala. Obviously, hindsight doesn't help you at all. How do you look at the performances of companies such as Kumba, uh, companies that have performed better than the ones you have chosen? So um, it's a good question. It's interesting you chose Kumba because actually that a year ago was a comparison we did in one of our presentations where we built the case that Impala was going to be the next Kumba. So exactly what you're saying, Kumba was one 600 rand a share and the Arnold price was $200. Then Kumba was a 30 rand share, and the Arnold price was $40. And um, we didn't buy Kumba, mainly because we didn't see a deficit in the Arnold price. And actually, there isn't a deficit in Arnold, but for whatever reasons, which are, we don't have to go into all of them, but the Arnold price then, Kumba was 30 rand a share, and the Arnold price was 40. The Arnold price then went from $40 to about $75 unexpectedly, and I have to say, I did not foresee that at all, that the Arnold price, and obviously the market didn't. Mm -hmm. And that rise in the Arnold price drove Kumba from 30 rand to 400 rand, as you've alluded to. And actually, last year, Kumba made made 30 rand a share. (laughs) So here was a share that was trading at 30 rand, and no one wanted it. And then two years later, it actually made 30 rand a share. So that's why the share went up 10 or 12 times. So our argument is exactly the same thing is going to happen to Impala, where the share has dropped 90%, and the share was trading at 16 rand. And I can show you a scenario, and a scenario that is not far from today's prices of the rand and metal prices, where Impala makes 16 rand a share. So, you know, if I would say, just off the top of my head, if that rand... Uh, PGM basket rose 20% from today's level, which is you know not that much. All we need is palladium to go up another 10, 15%, and the rand to weaken 10%, both of which are very possible. Um, Impala could earn 16 rand share and and earn what the share price it was. So your point is right. These things happen in mining all the time, and we didn't, as it happened, buy Kumba, although we knew Kumba was really cheap at 30 rand. Um, I would at the time I didn't think the iron, there was not a case for the iron ore price to go up, and it did. And so we've seen the same thing with Impala, and I can build you a strong case why the platinum, the PGM prices should go up, and that's mainly because there's a shortage of metal in the world. So we're happy to stick to that. So we think Impala is on the same road as what Kumba was over that period. Just lastly, uh, the local market really took a beating last year, especially in the mid-cap sector. Um, are you buying in the, the sector at, at the moment? Because it seems like there are many really well-managed and, and good solid companies that are that seems to be uh, oversold. Yes. So the summary of the, where the fund's position is we've got one-third in platinum, one-third offshore in the global value fund, and one-third in mid- and small-cap South African shares. And we actually have not one share in the Aussie 40, which is quite an extreme position, but we do not see any value in the large-cap banks, retailers, large-cap miners. Um, So that's where you're positioned, and we think mid- and small-caps in South Africa 
are priced like South Africa and Zimbabwe, which is, you know, that is a debatable point, but at least they're trading on equivalent of five times earnings. So we see lots of value there, and we don't see any value. The SA retailers are still priced um, way too high, even though they've come down a lot, they're still trading on 18 times earnings, which we think is a ridiculously high valuation given the outlook for domestic economy in South Africa. So we're not interested in the retailers, and the banks are cheaper than the retailers, but you know they're just at best fair valued and probably slightly overvalued on 10, 11 times earnings. So we've got none of the large caps, and we found a lot of value, and we put our money in uh, Mediclinic, which has fallen from 200 rand to 50 rand and trades on eight times earnings. We've put our money in Nanpac, which is the same price as 25 years ago and trades on seven times earnings. And uh, shares like Tongart and Huleman, uh, we think those, those are, that's where the value is in South Africa, where at least those valuations have discounted a worst-case outcome for the domestic economy, whereas a lot of the bigger shares in South Africa are still priced for a very, very favorable outcome in South Africa. We'll have to leave it there. Thank you, John. That was John Bicard. He's the manager of the Investec Value Fund.